This message is brought to you by Moira Pentecostal Church. We hope that it will encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your walk with God. And verse 9 of Psalm 42. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Samus was never afraid of addressing God on the basis of how he felt. Note the juxtaposition between those two statements. They are complete opposites. I will say unto God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Of course, he could be accused of using negative language, of not accentuating the positive. However, God was a friend to David, not a formula. And a good friend, a true friend, can handle our off days, can't they? If somebody calls you your friend and they can't handle your off days, they're not much of a friend, are they? Because you're going to have them and they're going to have them. And so God has got broad shoulders and he can handle our feelings and our emotions. I will say unto God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Sounds a bit like those disciples on the boat in the midst of the storm when they thought they were going to sink and Jesus was asleep on the pillow and they woke him up. Remember what they said? Master, don't you care that we're perishing? <laughs> Couldn't have said something more up if they just had stopped it. Master, but then they added, don't you care that we are perishing? And so here is a struggle uh, with emotion and with feeling as opposed to fact. And we need to differentiate between feeling and fact. We ever seem to fluctuate, at least in our feelings, between being on the top of Mount Zion or being in the valley of Baca. Or like Elijah being on Mount Carmel having a great victory or sitting underneath a juniper tree saying, God is enough, take me. Or like Peter, one moment walking on water, the next hearing the cock crow and realizing he had blown it. And to quote Luther for the umpteenth time, feelings come and feelings go, but feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Not else is worth believing. Though all my heart should feel condemned for want of some sweet token, there is one greater than my heart whose word cannot be broken. And so let's look tonight just for a few moments and let's differentiate between feelings and fact because we're always going to have to deal with this. Feelings say, why have you forgotten me? Now Jesus himself was not impervious to feelings. In his humanity, 
he felt. He felt anger. He wept at the grave of Lazarus. And on the cross, you remember what he said? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was he feeling at that moment? Feeling abandoned. Feeling that heaven had closed to him. Feeling completely and utterly alone in the world. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What a cry. Who could ever fully understand the depth, the feeling in that cry? So feelings say, why have you forgotten me? Fact replies. Isaiah 49, verse 15 and 16. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet will not I forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. That's fact. Our feelings says different. Our emotions blinds us to that fact if we're not careful. But when we look at God's word and we get his promises, we see that our very names are engraved and inscribed in the palms of his hands. Our walls are continually before him. Feelings say, Surely the stain of my sin is too deep. My transgressions are too many to number. But then fact replies, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 44. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Though your sins be as scarlet, yet they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's fact. And somehow or other, in the midst of our feelings, we have got to turn to fact. We've got to say, Lord, this is what I feel in my humanity, in my weakness, in my confusion, in my fear. But this is fact. What are we going to stand on? What are we going to allow to dominate our thinking and our thoughts? Because one or other will do it. Either the fact will stand or the feelings will stand. One or the other. Feelings say... Time, this time the waters are too raging, the fire is too hot, the floods are too deep. I was watching the other night, was it last night or Friday night? It was about the tsunami in Japan. Did anybody see that? Maybe you saw it before. And how that even though the Japanese, who's used to earthquakes and tsunamis and had built great defenses, some of their defenses was over 10 meters high. Seawalls, massive seawalls. 
But they said that whenever the tsunami struck, before that was the earthquake, just about 20 minutes before that, and it said when the earthquake struck before the tsunami came on shore, that the whole shoreline dropped at least a meter and a meter and a half. Just boom, just like that. So those defenses that were, they thought were at their maximum had never ever got a sea coming in that big. Suddenly, they're lowered and the tsunami came in and overpowered those defenses and swept through that country. Feelings say this time, the waters are too raging. Floods are too deep. The fire is too hot. Fact replies, Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Fact. I think that it's encouraging when you're going through something that when your feelings and emotions are all over the place and they will be and they are at times mine included none of us are exempt from this I think that you've got to have something more than just that going for you you've got to have something that's fact something that's stable and steady that never changes feelings say I'm too weak I feel crushed. I have lost my zeal. Ever been there? Did you ever feel your get up and go has got up and gone? And spiritually, you're a dump squib. You come to church, you go through the motions, but you just feel empty inside. You go to pray, and after one minute, you're switched off. It's just not there. Anybody ever been there? Nobody wants to put up their hands, you don't. I think we've all been there. But listen what fact says. Isaiah 42. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. Just ever's even a little spark. Just of even the pilot lights on. If there's just a wee glow anything for God to work on he can fan that flame again he'll not snuff out the wick he'll not break the bruise reed it is said that the shepherds many times they chose a reed from the, the stream and they made a little flute out of it and they would play because they'd nothing else to do all day only watch the sheep. And then something would happen. Maybe they would trip or fall or sit down, but it would get bruised and it, it just wouldn't play the same. So what would they do? They could just toss it aside. There's plenty more they could get, but they don't. They take it down to the river. They soak it and they soak it and they soak it. And then they take it in their hands and they rub it and they rub it and they rub it and they rub that bruise out of it. And then they dry it. And then it can play music again. So God just doesn't toss us aside whenever we're bruised. And say you're no good anymore. He takes us aside. And he shapes us and he molds us. And he works on us. 
until he can play through us again. Bruised reed, he will not break. Smoking flax, he will not quench. Feelings say, I've lost the edge. I don't feel as sharp as I used to. My service is all dull duty. It's all a bother with no blessing. It's quite possible in your service that you can get to that state where again you go through the motions. You do it because you have to do it. You do it because you know you ought to do it. But you don't feel any blessing. You don't feel any joy or gladness of heart. But what does fact say? Isaiah 41. Behold, I will make you into a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth and you shall thresh the mountains and make them small. Ha. Get your zeal back. Get your thrill back. Solomon said, Ecclesiastes 10 and 10, if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. You rarely see it these days because everything is mechanized, but in my day, certainly as a young fellow, if you were going along the road at harvest time, you saw many a farmer in the field with a scythe. And he was cutting down the corn with the scythe. And that was hard work. It took a long time to do a field, even if there was three or four of you at it. And he would cut for a while, and then he would stop. And he would take out of his back pocket that stone, and he would start to sharpen his scythe. Put it back again, then he'd cut for another while. And then when the edge got dull, it was getting harder and harder to cut. It was taking more strength. So he would stop, he'd take the stone out, he would sharpen again, and it would be like knife through butter. And it would be so easy. And spiritually, that's what we've got to do. In our service. Whenever we feel tired and weary, that's the time we take a little bit of time out and we sharpen the edge again. We spend time in a room. We spend time in the Word. We spend time in prayer. We praise. We do whatever it needs to be done. And we sharpen the edge, our spiritual edge again. And then service becomes that little bit easier. Less of a hassle and a struggle. It becomes something that we begin to enjoy. It's a tremendous privilege to serve the Lord in whatever capacity that may be. It's a tremendous privilege. We don't want it ever just to become a chore and a bore and something that leaves us cold when we do it. We want it to be something that we enjoy doing. And so we need to take time to sharpen the edge. Remember that story of David in 1 Samuel 25 and how he was hiding out from King Saul, who wanted to kill him, and he was there in Carmel up the mountains. And old Nabal had his herds of sheep in that area, and David made sure that uh, no raiders would touch those shepherd sheep uh, because he had 600 men up there. And then it came a feast time, and he sent 10 young men to Nabal and says, Give me some food for a feast. 
We have looked after your shepherds and we've looked after your herds. So please, and he was very courteous, give, us, give your son, he said, some food for a feast. And old Nabal, that old rascal, he sent those young men back to David with their tail between their legs and insulted them and insulted David. And David was angry. And in the flesh, and in his anger, and in his emotions, and in the heat of the moment, he takes 400 men. And he says, let's go. He says, before this night's out, not one, of, not one meal belonging to Nabal will stand, will kill them. And he set off. Here's the man who killed Goliath when he was just a boy. Here's the man who single-handedly killed a lion and a bear. But now he's in the flesh. He's not thinking straight. He's making hard work of this. He's really struggling because of his anger issues. And who could blame him for being angry because they were out to kill him? All he wanted was some food for his feast. If it hadn't been for Abigail, Nabal's wife, he would have killed him. And he would have had more blood in his hands. You know the story. Behold, I will make you into a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth, and you shall thresh the mountains and make them small. Feelings say, I'm on my own. God has forgotten me. There is no help in God. Many a person has turned away from the Lord, turned her back on the Lord, and said, I'm on my own. He doesn't care. He didn't come to my aid. He doesn't know what I'm going through, and if he does, he doesn't care. But here's what fact says. Isaiah 41. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing. And those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them, those who contend with you. Those who are at war against you shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, shall hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. That's fact. So what are we going to believe? We're going to believe our feelings? Are we going to believe the fact of God's word? Because that's her choice, isn't it, at the end of the day. And we know there's a difference going in our feelings and going in God's word. Your demeanor changes. Your thoughts change. Your attitude changes. Not only towards God, but towards everybody around you. Because when we go in our feelings and our emotions, we're not great company. Sure we're not. Huh? Become grumpy old men. <laughs> and grumpy old women sometimes. Grumpy young people too. But whenever we look at God's word and we see what God says and that is fact, then we begin to change. I want you to notice something here. In verse 9, he says, I will say to God, my rock. Why is he saying that? He's appealing to God's nature. 
Now, if you read through the Psalms, and we'll, and we'll quickly look just very, very quickly at one or two, you will see that time and time again, he appeals to God's nature. I will say unto God, my rock. Lord, you are the rock, and as a rock you do not change. And as a rock you are established, as a rock you are permanent, as a rock you do not waver. I waver, I change, I have feelings and emotions that sway me, but God, you're not like that, you're a rock. So he's appealing to the nature of God. And in a way, he's in plan, even though he's saying, why have you forgotten me? He's not making a judgment of God here. This is his feelings. But in a way, he's saying, God, that's not your nature. That's not your nature. You're a rock. You don't change. Your feelings doesn't change towards me. Your feelings are the same. My feelings has changed depending on what my circumstances are, but you're just the same. You never change. You're the rock. He's appealing to the nature of God. It's a good thing to appeal to God's nature. And this is what the psalmist does again and again. Particularly when he's going through difficult times. And it seems like everything's against him, as we say. Then he looks up to God and says, God, I just want to remind you, you're the rock. (laughs) You're the rock. You're the rock. If you were to read all of that psalm, uh, then you would see that, that actually he was trusting the Lord and that he had his hope in God, if you read the whole psalm. But he's just allowing his feelings to come out here. But in the midst of this, he appeals <clears throat> to the very nature of God. In, in Psalm 56... I would encourage you, if you're going to read the Psalms, read the little preface, the little foreword in front of the Psalm. It says, To the chief musician, set to the silent dove in distant lands, a miktam of David. A miktam was a Psalm that was set, it was engraved. It was an important thing. This was something that, that was to be there permanently. A miktam of David. Notice this. When the Philistines captured him in Gath. Ah, what's he doing in Gath? Why is he there? Here's the man that slew Goliath of Gath. What in the world is he doing in Gath? The last place he ought to be is in Gath. I mean, that's the land of the Philistines, the ancient enemy, the ones that fought against him and he fought against them many times. But again, he's on the run from Saul. And being on the run, he makes a wrong judgment. This is a big mistake he's made. And now he knows it. And you'd have to read 1 Samuel 21 to get the background of that. And so he he was captured. And he's standing before the king of Gath. And just before he went there, he went to the priest, Ahimelech, and he lied to the priest because Doeg, one of the chief 
uh, herders of, of Saul was there and he recognized him. And so he said to the priest, he says, look, I'm on a mission from the king. I can't tell you what it is, but I need some food. I need some bread. I need a sword. I need a weapon. And he lied. I mean, he just bald-faced lied. Because he's living in his emotions. He's living in his fears. And so he just lies. And the priest gives him the showbread and gives him Goliath's sword that he had taken from Goliath. And David said, David said, give it to me. There's none like it. And he got that and stupidly, unbelievably stupidly, what does he do? He goes, to, he goes into the land of the Philistines. He goes to the ancient enemy with Goliath's sword. And of course, once those Philistines recognized who he was and realized, hey, that's the guy who killed our champion. That great battle in the Valley of Elah where many of our families were slaughtered by the Israelites, he was the culprit. He was the one who did it. And so they grabbed him, they captured him. They brought him before the king. If you read 1 Samuel 21, you'll see that he feigned insanity to escape. In a sense, the king says, I don't want any madmen around me. Get them away. But listen, in Psalm 56, this is his prayer for relief. You can be sure those Philistines were mocking him you can be sure they were threatening him. You can be sure they were laughing at him. At long last, they had captured the one that they wanted to kill the most. And what does David do? He appeals to the nature of God. What does he say? Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. O High and Lofty One. Remember where he is. He's captured by the Philistines. He could be put to death. He's feeling pretty small. He's surrounded by his enemies who no doubt were boasting and bragging and what they could do and perhaps what they would do to him. So he appeals to the nature of God. God, you're the high and the lofty one. You are above all of this. No matter how strong they appear to be, no matter how weak I appear to be, God, you are the high and lofty one. You are above all of this. He appeals to the nature of God. Notice he calls him merciful. Be merciful to me, O God. It's a good thing to appeal to the nature of God. Find out what God's nature is. And then in that situation, appeal to the nature of God. Remind God, as if he needed it, but we need it. Remind God of his nature. The high and the lofty one.
in Psalm 34. Again, notice the preface. A psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, save such as have a contrite spirit. 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. 22, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Then Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Again, read the preface to the chief musician. A Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this is his prayer of repentance. After a year, he finally admits his great sin, and he repents. <clears throat> Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. See what he's appealing to? The loving kindness of God. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He appeals to the loving kindness and the tender mercies of God. And then in Psalm 54, To the chief musician with stringed instruments, a contemplation of David when the Siphites went and said to Saul, is David not hiding with us? Again, when David was on the run from Saul and he thought he had found a safe place, a forest among the Siphites, only to find out that they went and he told Saul where he was with the intention of seeing him killed. Save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth for strangers have risen up against me and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. 
He will repay my enemies for their evil and cut them off in your truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. Vindicate me by your strength. Save me by your name. He's appealing to the very name of God. In a way, he's implying, God, your name is at stake here. I'm your servant. I haven't done wrong. I'm your servant. Those who come against me are coming against you. This is what he's implying. God, your name is at stake. Vindicate me by your name. (laughs) Feelings are fact. What's it going to be? I think we should choose fact, shouldn't we? I think if we choose fact, then our feelings will come into subjection to the fact. If we choose fact, say, Lord, that's your promise, that's your word, that's a fact, that's what I'm going to base my life on. Then when the feelings do come, and they will come, no question about it, then we can lay them at the feet of fact and say, fact triumphs over feelings. The promise of God are greater than our feelings. Amen? So there's a brief short word for you tonight to encourage you. So tomorrow when the feelings come, say, Lord, point me to a fact. And I believe in that instead. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we take these moments together. We encourage ourselves in the Lord. We strengthen ourselves by your word. Help us, Lord, to see your promises, to know your truths, and to stand upon them. Lord, when the battle rages, whenever our emotions and feelings, Lord, want to dominate and control us, help us, Lord, to look to the facts of God's words. We bless you for this. And we give you thanks and praise and honor. Thank you for everything that you've delivered us from, for every scrape you brought us through, for every mess up, Lord, that you sorted for us. We thank you, Lord, for every sin, Lord, that you pardoned us, for every mistake, Lord, you helped us. We bless you, Lord, tonight. And we thank you for the grace that you give to us abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more messages like this one, visit us online at www.mpc.org.uk. You'll also find a selection of informative videos at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal.